Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's topic is Entering Fire Without Burning or The Dangers of Spiritual Fire. Here's Reverend George Wolfe. Hello and welcome to Converging Streams. Today we are going to talk about fire. Not literal fire, but rather spiritual fire. Because in virtually all religious traditions, fire has been a symbol for spiritual knowledge and spiritual enlightenment. In ancient times, fire represented the presence and power of the Almighty. When Moses ascended Mount Sinai, God spoke to him through a burning bush. And in the Jewish tradition, the prophet Malachi speaks of the Messiah as someone who will, quote, purify the sons of Levi like a refiner's fire, end quote. The Bhagavad Gita from the Hindu tradition attributes the power of fire to the yoga of knowledge, saying, nothing purifies like the fire of knowledge. And on the day of Pentecost, the Christian apostles received the fire of the Holy Spirit. For millennia, fire was viewed as the transforming element whereby a substance, such as water, would change its form from solid to liquid to vapor, ultimately merging with the air. As seekers of truth, we seek the spiritual fire of the divine, that which transforms each of us, awakening the spirit within us. Now, while fire can have this positive benefit of awakening and empowering a person with spiritual vision, it also has dangers. Fire, of course, can also burn. Fire can cause great pain. It is often said that one needs a guide, a teacher, to help one avoid the pitfalls and to be able to reap the benefits of that spiritual vision and knowledge, which is a part of the spiritual quest. There is a story from Greek mythology which warns against the dangers of pursuing spiritual fire without the proper guidance of a teacher. And this particular myth, this particular story, is called the story of Icarus. Many of you may be familiar with the story of Icarus. He and his father were imprisoned on an island in a prison, and the son, Icarus, wanted very badly to escape from the prison, and so he collected large feathers from birds and made wings and used wax to hold the wings together and then attach them to his arms. It enabled him to fly. He then had the plan of flying to free himself from the prison and get to land. Now his father warned him against this, said it was too dangerous, but I guess being young and ambitious, he ignored his father's warning and he took off flying from the prison. But in doing so, in the process, he flew too close to the sun. And the sun melted the wax, which were holding the wings together on his arms. And thus, Icarus fell from the sky into the ocean below and perished. Many people say that this is a myth which talks about uh, an individual's quest to fly, humanity's desire to fly. But I think on a deeper level, 
it is really a story which warns against pursuing spiritual enlightenment or spiritual knowledge without the guidance of a teacher. For in this interpretation, the prison is the prison of ignorance, a person being in bondage to ignorance, and flying from the prison represents freedom or liberation. The father warning the son is the warning given to those who seek to pursue spiritual freedom without proper guidance. And Icarus flying too close to the sun, the sun symbolizing spiritual enlightenment, the source of spiritual fire, and flying too close to it, thus fell into the path of danger, whereby his quest of flight uh, was uh, ruined, and he then fell into the ocean perishing below. Warning about the dangers of spiritual ascent without proper guidance. Now, how could such dangers exist? Well, there was a sage in India many years ago named Patanjali. And Patanjali wrote a text called the Yoga Sutras. And in the Yoga Sutras, he talks about the very deepest level of the mind. This is a level of the mind which he says, only truth dawns on that level. The term often given to it in Sanskrit is called ritam. That level of the mind where only truth dawns. But in order to be at that level, <clears throat> one has to transcend all other levels of the mind, including the ego, the ability to benefit from the revelations and realizations that come from that deep level requires one to be in a state of egoless perception. Just prior to that level, however, just prior to that deep level of the mind, the ego is still awake. And on that level, when there is that subtle involvement of the ego with that uh, deepest level on which only truth dawns, it becomes difficult for the uh, disciple to discern between delusion and truth. It is in this state that the spiritual fire can burn us as well as enlighten us. And this is the teaching in the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali. The teacher, therefore, serves as a guide which helps the disciple discern between delusion and truth. And then after a great deal of experience, the uh, disciple is able to discern clearly without the teacher. Now there are several stories in uh, various religious traditions which talk about people being uh, placed in a position of fire and yet surviving it. Uh, there's a story, for example, in the Jewish tradition, in the book of Daniel, of three young men named uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they would not worship the gods that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted them to worship. And as a punishment, he was going to throw them into the fiery furnace. And in doing so, he threw them into the furnace. And he looked into the furnace, and he saw that they were not being harmed. That they, there was a fourth person in the furnace walking with them. One who, according to Nebuchadnezzar, had the appearance of one like the son of the gods. Well, he was astonished, and he brought them out of the furnace and found that they had not been burned by the fire because they had pursued and were following the true teaching of the true God. In the Zen Buddhist tradition, we have a story about fire, about a Zen master who says, where people of today dwell, I do not dwell. What people of today do, I do not do. If you clearly understand what this really means, you must be able to enter a pit of fire with your whole body. And then a second passage reads like this from the Zen tradition. All sages since remote antiquity have entered the pit of life and death, gone into the fire to help people out. 
If people can enter, this can be called not burning in fire, not drowning in water. And of course, in the Christian tradition, it is the fire of enlightenment which is to come at the end of the age. And the guide for the Christian, of course, is Jesus Christ. History shows, however, that there are many examples of the tragedy of delusion from spiritual fire. And that's when you pursue it without proper guidance. There is, for example, the tragedy of Jonestown, where there was a mass suicide. There is the tragedy of Waco, Texas, also a mass suicide. And there is a tragedy of people misinterpreting their scriptural traditions to justify war and violence, such as the way the Taliban has misinterpreted the concept of jihad. Jihad really meaning doing battle within, to purify oneself of the evil within. Several years ago, I was speaking at the House of the Redeemer in New York City, and someone asked me a question. They noticed that religion has what they called a dark side, that religion can have many wonderful benefits and can benefit the uh, world and the community in which people live, but also there are many tragedies which come from religious fervor. And he asked, how can we guard against this dark side of religion? And this is a very good question because, you see, anyone can say that they've received a revelation or a message from God. Anyone can say that they've had a realization of spiritual knowledge. Anyone can go around and say that they're enlightened. How do you know that it is valid? And so there are tests. Each religious tradition has a test which helps guard against this uh, delusion. In a Jewish tradition, for example, it is said that a man cannot bear witness to himself. Now this prevents a person who has had a profound spiritual realization from coming forth and claiming that they have had it themselves. Because bearing witness to oneself is not allowed. A second uh, passage reads, the testimony of two men is true. Why? Because someone else has to bear testimony or has to be, bear witness to the revelatory experience that a person's had. And they bear witness and give testimony to that by observing the person's quality of life, by listening to the, to the sage's teaching, and thereby concluding that uh, it is profound enough so that they can be accredited with having had true spiritual vision. And it takes two people, not just one, to validate that type of spiritual knowledge and vision. In the Hindu tradition, uh, in the Upanishads, there is a passage which reads, those who know do not say, those who say do not know. This prevents someone from saying <laughs> that they've received some uh, spiritual knowledge or enlightenment. By virtue of a person saying that, it indicates that they cannot be in a level of egolessness. There is a certain humility which goes along with the experience of the divine, such that one doesn't uh, make claims or give credit to oneself. So it's a test. That's another test to determine whether or not a person uh, has gained true spiritual vision and true spiritual knowledge and thus is worthy of being followed. In the Christian tradition, in the Mennonite tradition, uh, within Christianity, there is a threefold test which is used. And the first test is when a person has some revelatory experience, that it must be examined by the elders in the community. 
the elders in the community, the most experienced, wisest people within the church have to consider what this experience was. And based on their experience over a lifetime, they can provide insight as to whether or not the experience may be valid. That's one prong of the test. The second prong of the test is that the experience does not contradict scripture. And the third prong of the test is that uh, it must survive the test of time. If there are resources necessary, whether it be financial or other types of uh, support needed in order to bring about uh, the manifestation and the fulfillment of the realization, then nature or God will provide that so that uh, it will indeed bear fruit. That three-pronged test in the Mennonite tradition then provides a safeguard against delusion. Thus we have, in each religious tradition, uh, ways of helping people to discern whether or not spiritual knowledge, spiritual vision, or spiritual enlightenment is valid. Ways which prevent a person from speaking out on their own, giving testimony to themselves, bearing witness to themselves, but rather relying on other people observing the quality of life of that person as being a true example of someone who's being led by the Spirit. This is George Wolfe for Converging Streams. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship with content and financial support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie and technical support from radio stations WCRD and Work FM. Most importantly, we thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza, George Wolfe, and Thomas Perchlick. Thank you for listening, and have a pleasant week.